Food and Beverage Magazine Live, bringing food and beverage to life with your hosts, James Beard Award winner Jennifer English and Food and Beverage Magazine publisher Michael Politz. Featuring leaders in the hospitality, branded food and beverage, and CPG industries, many of whom are Jennifer and Michael's friends in the business. For an informal and informative conversation where friends in the business share the latest intel, ideas, and best practices. Live, juicy inside scoop from the tastemakers, newsmakers, bread bakers, drink shakers, spoon lickers, clam diggers, farms, foodies, and friends of the food and beverage magazine world. Here are your hosts, Jennifer English and Michael Politz. Is it true? Yes. It's true that it's Bastille Day? Happy Bastille Day. What does that mean, Bastille Day? What is that? Well, we're going to find out. But what it means for the people in California, you know, it's Tuesday, it's Newsday, and that means that we're going to bring you some of the biggest news that's happening in the world of food. And there is a rumor that the California legislature is about to reapprove the use, sale, and enjoyment of foie gras, which for some companies and some people, it's going to be a really big thing. And um, we're yeah, gonna... so, so it's a French thing. It's happening it's on a French, French day. Is that what you're saying? No, no. Today is a French celebration day. It's Bastille Day. What does that mean? It's the day that they stormed the Bastilles in, I believe, 1789. It's like a French... What was it like? What was it like when they did that? I was very young at the time, and because I'm so old now, I can barely remember it. But it was uh, it was the French Revolution. It's sort of like the French version of July Fourth and uh, Independence Day, but it, it wasn't independence from somebody else, so it's not exactly the same. More, more importantly, is that a new lipstick you're wearing today? Is that a new you know lipstick? Is that a new one? It is. Yeah, you know, I learned a little secrets here and there from my from my books. Look at that. And I'm wearing my you know French picnic. Bonfette de Bastille shirt. Is that the picnic? That's like it was in the in the. In it's like the we went into you know the the Tuileries and we spread out a wonderful spread of. Is that the, is that what we would we would sit on or is that what the food would be wrapped in? Yes, we would we would we would rest and recline upon it. It would uh, it would be our tablecloth and our blanket, and then if I were. If I were that way, I would jauntily wrap it around myself and in a very chic way wear it for a scarf on the way home if I was Oh, oh my, excuse me. So, I'm, so. It's so not my MO. Like I'm 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 you know, I'm I'm way out of my element with that. But in fact, we have lots of friends who are gonna be joining us today. I hope not. Um, and we've invited lots of people to join us because it is Bastille Day and they're all celebrating, so they're gonna try and steal away. And come join us. Let me ask you this question. If they don't steal away and come join us, will you will you take that personally? No, it's Bastille Day. People are having people are visiting with um Ariane Degan and and the folks who are celebrating this, you know, reintroduction of the flawed. And people like Rita Jamay are gonna be celebrating with a glass of champagne. Just are like they are they social distancing? In a in a manner of speaking, uh yes. Okay. But we're, you know, there's this idea of conviviality that we share on this show. Why are you popping words off? Why are you popping words off to start with? You know, I I can't even find my conviviality banner. I know. We need your banner. I don't know where it is. It's about it's about coming together, and you know, the the theme, of course, is always we're all in this together. Yes. And and Frank, if you've been if you've been locked up at home alone. 
you want any excuse to reconnect and, and celebrate. You know, conviviality I'm looking here is missing from my work. So I think we're done with that word now. Can't pop it up no. No, it is. I can't find it anywhere. It's missing. I want that to be a cover story one month. Conviviality? Yeah. You know, I'm very disappointed. Today is a very sad day for me because one, I know of my, one of my mentors, restaurants, who he passed away five years ago, but his restaurant is closing. You want to talk a little bit about that before we are we going to be sharing a little more tomorrow about K-Pauls or how are we? Yeah, we're reaching out to our friends in New Orleans for the impact statement on just what it means when one of the first most famous chefs, celebrity chefs, and his restaurant, K. Paul's, uh, closes their doors. What does it mean about the end of an era? They were they started in 1979. Paul Prudhomme and his wife Kay, 62 seat restaurant on Chartres Street. How do you pronounce that? Speaking of Chartres. Oh, that's it, Chart Street in French Quarter. Yep. National sensation. He was the uh, he was a good guy. Yeah. He was a very supportive man of what we did at Food and Beverage Magazine from the day one. He well, let's just, time. I mean, we could talk about all the ways that Paul Prudhomme influenced. I like just to talk about me because I'm a narcissist, but let's talk about other ways as well. <clears throat> my I daughter, don't... my daughter actually said, Dad, I talked to a therapist. She said you're a narcissist. I said, well, thank you for taking therapy for me. Who does that? Isn't that bizarre? But let's talk about book writing because I'm exhausted just from writing my one book. You wrote and one you, book. And you slammed me with this dude who wrote 50. Now, Listen, he's, he's, he's part of a family of um, food friends of ours. Remember yesterday we had an amazing woman on who called us from um, Israel. Mm -hmm, and. Mm -hmm. Well, she was really from New York. You kind of fooled Originally, me. but now she lives in Israel. But you fooled me. You said we had an Israeli woman coming on the road a book. And I said, Jennifer, that is going to be a pain in the ass. And you said, no, she's wonderful. And you know what? She was wonderful. She was. Because, she was because she's one of our friend Carrie Bachman's um, team. Now, Carrie's not from Bachman Turner Overdrive. That's a different Bachman. You know, I don't know that for a fact. Well, you need to have her call in. Let's well, we, we actually will have to talk to her about that at some point. But she really is one of the leading um, publicists in the world of food books. And uh, she works with the greatest authors in the country, many of whom, like our next guest, are winners of the International Association of Culinary Professionals Prize, the IACP Prize, um, as well as the James Beard Honors, which, again, our next guest was honored by the James Beard Foundation as a finalist. Uh, but most importantly, he's what? written or collaborated on over... Well, stop for a second. He was just a finalist, so he's not a winner. So we're having a guy that's not a winner on the show? I'm going to tell you, as somebody who has won the James Beard Prize and been nominated and as a finalist... I got to bring him on. Dave, Dave. I'm sorry, I'm Dave. It's an honor just to be nominated. Like... David? When you don't get nominated, I'm telling you, you're happy to be nominated. And it really is. It's enough to be nominated. David, I'm sorry she had to let she did that to you, right? She's like, <laughs> he, he was mentioned by them, but he didn't win. But let's bring him on. That's what I, she was, said. I was enjoying that debate between winners and nominees. That's great. Well, but you know I what? totally agree with you, Jennifer. Being nominated oh. by the James Beard Foundation is a is great honor. Yeah. Yeah. No, that is an honor. That it's is an such honor. Rare air to be in that group of category nominees. And it's very difficult for people to understand what we mean by that. And I wasn't going to start our conversation with this today because for me, one of the most important things you do is you bring, you're one of like the um, public intellectuals in the food space. You know, if we were in the 1950s, you'd have been the guy 
that would have been one of the um, panelists on all those fantastic game shows. <laughs> it was always one of those erudite and on charming. the gong show <laughs> on uh, Hollywood Squares for foodies oh, or yes, something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that now, Paul, game. Paul, oh, Ryan, tell us what you would have had today for lunch. You know, the tuna sandwich, Joe. Now, what about you, Phyllis Diller? <laughs> <laughs> now, Jennifer, because you do have a James Beard Award and you are talking to Dave, do you feel better than him because he was just spoken about having one? Yeah, just well, because, you know, if I won the Super Bowl and the team didn't win, I would be like, I'm better than you, bro. I'm just wondering. No. Are okay. you kidding? We have we have food literature royalty on with us today. Dave is, as far as I'm concerned, he's the top of the food chain, baby. No, he's got to be exhausted. He's got every book behind him he wrote. So. Listen, he, he wrote. Now, I, I, I'm going to tell you this. You can't imagine what it is to influence the generation in which you work and write and speak and teach. And that is something that I really want to focus on today because right now we're in a pivotal moment in our culture of food when we're all having to reinvent ourselves. And who do we turn to as either an actual mentor or a virtual mentor? The guys and women who have written these incredible books. And we have one of them on with us today in the hopes that maybe we can get them to come on regularly and talk about how we should all be changing our perspective and how we think about the world of food and hospitality. And that's that's why I'm glad you're here today. Dave, welcome. Thank you. Wait a minute, you're asking him to come on, hoping he's gonna come on again and we haven't even talked to him yet? <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> this show is bizarre to me today. Dave, am I wrong, or is that not what she just said? Well, I mean, I'm very flattered, but yeah, I would I would expect to get that request after we talked for the first time. But uh, I'm all for it. You know, if you no, want to know what's happening in the food world, I mean, I did just start this service, DigestThis.News, which is yeah. trying to give people a snapshot of that. What is happening in the food world? So what I do is, I mean, I am an eternal student of food. So I've always read food news and magazines and various, like actually really weird publications like Sword Forum Quarterly, which is an excellent publication uh, if you're into blades and knives. But anyway, very wide swath of things in the food world. And this is a newsletter and website that essentially gives you all the top line food news in the food world in one easy reading email every Tuesday morning. Tuesday, Newsday. You got it. Yeah, and the categories, they run the gamut. So everything, I mean, it's basically from farm to fork. So there is uh, stories on farming, stories on the environment, stories on supply chain, like what's happening in the meatpacking industry right now. Stories on restaurants, uh, restaurant delivery. I'm sure you read the headlines about all the consolidation in the food delivery world right now with uh, Grubhub being bought by Just Eat Takeaway and Uber. Uh, they just uh, acquired Postmates for, I think it was $2.65 billion. Uh, so lots, there's lots happening there because, as you mentioned, Jennifer, there's so much change right now in the restaurant world and in, in, in the food service world. But the stories in this, in Digest This News, cover everything uh, cooking, beverages. You know, I don't really post recipes. I don't consider that news. Right. Um, but if there's a new cooking technique, for instance, uh, there was a video that Eater did on fish cured in beeswax, which I thought was a very interesting technique that I had never explored before. So I shared that. 
So that's the kind of thing that I'll do in the cooking What's it room. called? Is it called None of Your Beeswax? <laughs> they should have titled it that, right? That would have been better for SEO. Uh, but yeah, there's all sorts of food news in there. So if you want to stay up on what's happening, just check out digestthis.news. Um, Dave, among the books uh, that you've collaborated on and written about, you've touched on the topics that are those stars in the constellation of the food world uh, universe over the last 20 years. And I wanted to ask you, let's quickly, before we go forward, let's look back just a bit. What were some of the highlights that defined our generation over the last 20 years in food that you think will still be identifying this period of time with and by 10, 20, 50 years from now? You mean changes in um, in food and in the food and dining world in general? Just in general, some of the, the books that you've you've covered and collaborated on have really been part of those things that 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 brought us there and got us there and kept elevating us. So who we are today as a food culture can literally trace our lineage back to those high points yeah. that were addressed by your books. When you're doing them, it's exciting and all consuming, I'm sure. But when you're doing those books, do you realize that those are those high point moments that are really catapulting our entire cuisine culture up a notch? You don't realize that, no. Actually, <laughs> one of the books that I wrote, The Science of Good Food, was right in the middle of the poorly named molecular gastronomy movement. But what was happening, I think, essentially, is that chefs in corporate food development, food yeah. product development, I'm talking about corporate chefs for Lay's or for big companies like Kraft, they have specialized knowledge about food that allows them to create amazing textures, very uh, pleasurable sensations, things that fine dining chefs are very interested in. So there was this merging of knowledge with fine dining chefs and food scientists or corporate chefs, um, sometimes called culinologists. So there was just a, a, a confluence of those two trends, fine dining and uh, food science, which created this movement to just cook with a, a more scientific approach, which created some very interesting restaurants, some of which survived and some didn't. But that has led to things like, arguably, it's led to things like the Instapot. Right. I think that home cooks are a little more open to technology now because they have seen the amazing things that can be produced with bits of technology in restaurants. Not that they're going to replicate all that at home, but that has allowed people to be more open to things like an Instapot. Dave, I have a Brava machine. Have you seen these Brava machines yet? The Brava? No, I have not. Oh, my God, Dave. <laughs> Got to get one, huh? I'm going to have to get you on the list. mentioned this before. I still don't have one. He hasn't sent me one. The Brava no, they're, they're company. They're $1,500. Why would I send you one, Jennifer? Yeah. I love you. I love you, but not that much. Well, what speaking is it? I still don't understand what it is. It works with, like, infrared light, but I could put a steak... And then you put like asparagus and you can put some, and mushrooms and you put it all in and you like type in the code or you hit really hit the button. It just says steak and mushrooms or steak and asparagus and mushrooms and hit start. And then it all cooks evenly at the same time. And it's done. And you take it out and eat it. It's like a one nice. shot. I don't know. Great. That's great. Right. One, of, one of my favorite countertop gadgets right now is a pizza oven. Breville came out with this pizza oven. And what is remarkable about it is that it just plugs into a regular outlet 
It's no bigger than a toaster oven, and it gets to over 700 degrees. No wow. home oven gets that kind of heat. Wow. And that's, that's what you need for a good pizza, like a good Neapolitan-style pizza. You need high heat. And this is the only oven I've seen, you know, outside of a, like outdoor pizza oven or wood-fired oven that gets to those kinds of temperatures. Can you make this? Breville. Wow. It's called a pizzaiolo. Very simple to use. Um, so one of the books that I did recently was called Mastering Pizza. And I became aware of this pizza oven and tested it out. And I was very impressed because the book covers all kinds of pizza making styles right. and all sorts of ovens. We have grilled pizza, gas grilled pizza, Kamado grilled pizza. We have pizza make, made in the home oven, pizza made in a cast iron pan. Uh, so all sorts of different types of pizza. And this is a this is a great countertop appliance. I just loved it. Huh. That's kind of cool. You know, we talked uh, not that long ago with uh, Lisa Fetterman, whose company Nomiku sadly has succumbed to the economic uh, moment in this time. Um, but she had a home sous vide system and was having a lot of success with that. When I was talking to Julia Child, uh, when we were in uh, the opportunity to have an interview together. On your Ouija board? <laughs> no, no, this is when Julia. Gave, I just sit back here and wait for my moments. No, that's, I mean? yeah, that's good. These are perfect. <laughs> so we when were I, actually. When I was talking to Julia, you know, wait a minute. She said goodbye. <laughs> Why is it going to the bottom of the board? Yes, no. Go ahead. <laughs> we were at the time in uh, Alexandria or Arlington, Virginia at a Sir La Tab store where she was making an appearance around her 90th birthday being celebrated and her kitchen going into the Smithsonian. And it was one of those um, wonderful opportunities that I had. And I had asked her because having watched her do the interviews and the meet and greet with all the people that came to have their books signed by her. And uh, somebody asked her about a device at the time. It might've been a RoboCoup. She was asked which countertop appliances did she like? And I subsequently said, Julia, how do you know something's just a gimmick? You know, like a George Foreman grill or something is really legitimately game changing and becomes, you know, really, really useful. And she had a really simple answer and that it, that it had to be, you know, essentially very useful and become essential for performing that task. She wasn't big on gimmicks. And if something really made your job, you know, better and easier, she wasn't she wasn't going to reject that because, oh, in, in the uh, classic French tradition, you only used, uh, you know, uh, a, a balloon whisk or or in a mechanized uh, hand crank egg beater. You know, if there was something great, she would have used that. So, I mean, I, I thought that was a really important point to make. And to your point, Dave, what are the kinds of things that you've had the chance to see become part of our essential culinary toolbox? Like this pizza oven, like I, I don't know if it, or the Brava. I mean, not everybody's heard of these things. How do we yeah. how do we make sure we are on? We're not missing out. Well, I think sous vide machines have definitely made inroads. I mean, they used to be these industrial, expensive medical pieces of equipment, and now they're much smaller, much less expensive. And not that every home has one or that it's essential, but if you have cooked sous vide, you know that it really does simplify something like making steaks because you can just get them cooked to your temperature well ahead of time and hold them at that temperature for hours and then just sear it off when you're ready. And this is what restaurants do. So for the home cook, 
I think it's a great solution, especially for people who are going back to work, eventually going back to an office, uh, because the sous vide machine allows you to start cooking something in the morning, essentially forget about it for the day, and then finish it at night, much like the promise of a slow cooker, but with much better results. Slow cookers, all they do is stew, essentially. So uh, I think that the sous vide machine is one of those things that is starting to make inroads now. People are getting hip to that. It's going to sound like an obvious question, uh, but if we are looking back at those those absolutely watershed moments of our food evolution and our food culture evolution, where is COVID going to fit in our long historical perspective? I mean, this is one of the most tumultuous times in the food world ever, yeah. ever. I mean... I can't think of, you want to name some of the things that have been game changing in the food world, like Nouvelle Cuisine was pretty game changing. Um, that pales in comparison to just the array of effects that this is having across uh, the whole spectrum that I mentioned, the entire food chain from farm to fork. The farming world has been disrupted by this because of the supply chain issues. The grocery stores have been disrupted by this. Home cooks, restaurants obviously have been disrupted by this. So what is the silver lining in this? Well, whenever there is so much change and so much, um, so much that demands your attention, mm -hmm. there is opportunity. I think there's opportunity in what's happening now. The first person who figures out how to bring back a safe buffet, they're rich. Because <laughs> how do you do that? Had, you know, soup plantation and sweet tomatoes, they closed immediately. They were like, all right, game over. Go on. Yeah. yeah go on. Uh, and, and everyone else is trying to figure out, well, how do we do this safely now? Uh, if you can figure out a, a way to open a, a soup plantation buffet style restaurant, which people love. I mean, come on. Everyone loves endless choice. You know, all you can eat. It's a great promise. Hot um, chicks and pasta. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. So the, I don't know. Maybe the one I'm in Vegas. So the sweet tomatoes that I went to, you had these hot chicks making the soup and the pasta. Right, Jennifer? <laughs> I've never been to a sweet well, tomatoes. I know you haven't. But you know, what about this day? What about the old day? Where, where are you from? Where did you grow up? What part of the world? Uh, northeast. So I grew okay. up in Northeast New Jersey. All right. So, all right. So, Northeast New Jersey. Right. So, you run the kind of. What are you worried now? You're worried about the city? What are you tracking them down? You're talking about East Brunswick, West Orange? What are you doing over here? Closer to West Orange. Paranus? Paranus. Are you from Paranus? I know Paranus. So, Kinnelon um, is the name of the town. Very small we, town. We would never, I would have gone Rutherford at the last minute. That would it's, near, it's, near, it's near Wayne. Everyone knows Wayne. Wayne. So, so in the old days, when I was growing up, we used to have hot chops cafeterias, right? And you would go into the cafeteria and you would say, I wouldn't want it. It was like school cafeteria. I yeah. wouldn't want to leave. Got the heat lamp right there. Yeah. Put on love a heat lamp. That's the best way to do it. Yeah, I mean, I think now if there are servers doling out the buffet food, that is one way to mitigate the safety issues. Uh, but um, the first person who figures that out, I think, is going to be uh, on the front of what's happening, what the opportunity is, because there's there's a lot of sad news in the restaurant world yeah. right now. You mentioned K. Paul's closing, Blackbird in Chicago mm -hmm. closed, um, you know, lots of small mom and pop places closing. Um, Beloved places. People love restaurants, though. I mean, and let's face it, not everyone knows how to cook or cook well. And their food knowledge has been lifted, talking about trends again, by things like the Food Network, 
uh, and the amazing explosion of food television, our knowledge, collectively, our knowledge of food is so much greater now than it was 10, 20 years ago. But our skills in preparing that food, not so much. So people are still going to go out to eat because they, they expect a certain level of cuisine, but they're not able to achieve that at home. So restaurants are definitely not going to die. But, uh, you know, people will be a little skittish about where they go and be choosy about the types of restaurants they frequent. Are we going to go back to places like Horn and Hard Arts Automat, where the food, like it is coming out of Japan right now, is coming out of a machine with a robot-made pizza? I mean, we actually had a guest that was lined up to be on with us. Talk about your pizza story and your pizza book. There's a company that has got this, this robot mechanism that actually makes pizzas for you. And it's kind of like basically a pizza vending machine. Well, I don't know if you saw the news today, but White Castle is now testing Flippy, which is a burger bot. Um, and Flippy has actually been around for a while and is in use in some stadiums. But for White Castle to be testing is, this is, uh, this is definitely news. They're testing going. it in one of their Chicago restaurants. And this is just one of those things that helps uh, ensure to customers that it's safer um, reduces the amount of touches on the food. Yeah. Uh, but that's not the only example. Uh, there are butchers who are doing vending machine meats now. They uh, cut their meats, put it in cold vending machines, and people have a touchless transaction for getting their meat from a local butcher. That might catch on. Um, there's another uh, robot called Sally, which is actually being used quite a bit now. So Sally is a salad kiosk that mixes up to 22 different salads from huh. ingredients. And you can scan the QR code for Sally at the vending machine and then use the keypad on or use your phone to essentially dial up what kind of salad you want. And Sally mixes it for you right there. So grocery stores are actually using this now because they haven't been able to reopen their salad bars. Let's talk so, a little. Let's that, talk by the way, is a great idea. It is. That, it's a great idea, right? It is. Like, like if, if we could do that with like yogurt machines, Jennifer, you could be like, oh, I want my yogurt machine. I'm going to go to the yogurt machine. I'm only going to push that I get the chocolate yogurt or the Swiss chocolate for you. James Beard Award winner, almost winners as well. <laughs> I don't want to leave you out. Um, Belgian you, chocolate. Belgian chocolate. Swiss, Swiss chocolate. Swiss, Swiss chocolate. No one's had, they don't even have that anymore, Swiss chocolate. Remember the old days with like Swiss chocolate, right? Or I want to get my like special chicken put into a container. I don't want the lady to use to do it at the store. Look at this, Jennifer. Does this remind you of anything? That's how I cook. So we we just did a story on uh, on Digest This News about robot butchers um, because you know that the meatpacking industry has been beleaguered by the coronavirus outbreak. Um, and any any place that has a high concentration of people close together, it's it's going to be an issue. So they are now testing. More, they have some robot automation of uh, for meat packing, but the fine trimming of fat and cutting of steaks, for instance, has to be done by humans. But the cutting through bone of uh, entire animal that can be done by a robot. So Tyson just invested five hundred million dollars in a new automation center that they have, wow. where they're testing various pieces of equipment to not only um, reduce the the number of people that are in their meatpacking facilities, but to make the whole process more efficient. I saw that today. For some, I think it popped into one of my news feeds. Okay. Tyson had like 122,000 employees that were just cutting meat. Yes. Some crazy number like that. Yes. And now they were looking for that, which is an amazing, it's, it's, 
it makes sense. The problem is people think they're going to worry about, oh, other jobs. Oh, what's going to happen to other people's jobs, right? The, the, it's not like you're going to lose your job. These other people that are already butchering, they'll be somewhere else. Yeah. They may, they may actually they be in a better position. Maybe they'll open their own butcheries, right? And maybe they'll open their own businesses. And new jobs will come up. I mean, more successful. Yeah. I mean, right now there's a new job at restaurants, sanitation manager. Yeah. And they're responsible for making sure that everything is wiped down, the bathroom is cleaned more regularly, like right. all of that stuff. That's here's a new a, position. Here's a robot machine that Jennifer invented. I don't know if you've seen this or not. I don't know if she showed you this, but it's the ketchup dispenser. And it's a, <laughs> oh, wait a minute, it's not working. Jennifer, I'm so sorry. I, but, yeah, that back to the drawing board with that one. Yeah, it made it it's missing. It made and it. ketchup on there. It. You go, there you go. There you go. What? No ketchup on hot dogs. Come on now, mustard no. only, please. Oh, <laughs> Jennifer, that was the flaw. There's the flaw. I knew there was a flaw. That's what I. Back to the drawing board. Back to the drawing board. <laughs> That's funny. But they're probably using lasers. I would think when they're when they're butchering beef, it's. I'm sure there's like lasers involved and all kinds of stuff. The, the kinds of things where we want technology involved in our foods chain and our food supply is using the advances in things like spectral um, spectroscopy so that, you know, Jesus. you can pick out a face in a crowd. I, I want you to pick out a rotten tomato in a bunch. I want you to find the mold or the uh, pathogen contagions in a big batch of produce that's coming in from the field before it even gets a chance to get me or anyone sick with a salmonella outbreak. I mean, that is where I really think there's going to be a, a, a sea change in, in reliability. I mean, in some respects, there are a lot of dimensions, Michael and Dave. Our food world, in some respects, still has shades of 19th century technique. There are some industries that just haven't changed a lot. Well, food is very personal to people. You know, it is a personal transaction feeding someone else. You need to have immense trust in the person who's feeding you because who knows, maybe they're poisoning you. <laughs> so, that, I mean, but on, a, on just on a very basic primitive level, I think sharing food with people is, is I don't know, it's primal. So there's always this distrust of um, machines and, and, and who's making my food, where's my food coming from? This is one of the things that has been huge over the past 10, 20 years. Where's my food coming from? How has this chicken been raised? How is this egg produced? You know, are, are the chickens free range or are they, uh, you know, in little cages? And so this is very important to people. Um, but some of these technologies, I think, will help ensure that their food is being produced safely. One of the questions, Michael, that we posed to Dave before he came on today was given that this is such a time of challenge and dynamic change, what are the silver linings that we might be ourselves on the lookout for? The things that will actually be the things that make up our food future. Looking into our crystal ball today, and I'm asking Dave, Michael, you as well. What are we going to be as a, as a food nation? Who are we going to be? What are the things that we're realizing we're missing and that we really do miss and that we can't live without? Has this time shown us anything about what we can't live without? Well, people definitely get into baking as a result of this. And you saw that. Um, whether that will last, I don't know. But I think one of the things that people have realized and hopefully will take with them after this is, is passed and we get back to restaurants more regularly is the respect for the craft of cooking. 
because people cooking at home more, I think, realize how much time and effort it takes. And when a restaurant is, is spending so much of their resources to source good quality ingredients, prepare them to the, the highest levels they possibly can, um, it's worth paying for that food, first of all, but also respecting the entire team behind that restaurant. Uh, you know, hopefully people won't be so rude when they're in restaurants. Yeah. I think a lot of customers are just rude. You know, they're like, they act like kings. Like, and, and I do agree that one of the best things about restaurants is being served is not, is, is the food, but also the service. And I like being served, but you do have to have some respect for the whole team and the whole effort that has gone into the meal they're presenting to you. And I think people are getting that now that they're cooking more at home. Uh, and hopefully that will inspire them to shell out a little more money when they're going to yeah. restaurants because prices may increase uh, with what's happening with in ingredient sourcing and the additional costs that restaurants well, have that's now. The thing right there. I mean, I, the cost alone is going to be killing in some of these guys. But yeah. you know, in the, in the end, Dave, if you're getting a better service, right, you're getting tables clean better, you're getting better, and, and maybe some things were a little overpriced. Like, you know, I live in Vegas, right? And we know Vegas is um, known for its uh, very expensive restaurants, right? Now, you can get the same piece of meat for $50 less than around the corner or, or even like next door in Vegas, right? It's ridiculous because if you're in one of these casinos, right, you're going to get a piece of meat at one restaurant and it's going to be a different price at the other one. But guess what? They're all pulling it from the same batch. Right. You know, you know and that's how ridiculous it is. That's why this town, like, mock. I let, look at Jennifer's getting uncomfortable. She doesn't like it when I talk about this. She's breathing. No, 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 no. I, 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 I know that this is true, and I agree with you. But I also think that we all start out with the same paints, and we all start out with the same notes, and we all start out with the same letters. And it's what you do with the letters. It's the words that you create, and the poems that you write, and the stories that you, that you, that you tell. And it's mm -hmm. the paintings you make. And all and right. It's so I got one word. It's the perfumery. It's the perfumery. That's the word you're using. Because a potato is a potato and a steak is a steak, right? And unfortunately, when they rent get, like John George's name or they're renting somebody's name and they're then serving the quality of steak that maybe not to sell up the car, but the restaurant upstairs is a little better, but this one down here is $300 more. You know, eventually, do they catch on? Or does the or is this what's happening now, right? Like this pandemic, this wake these people All right. up. Let's ask Dave. Dave, is that moment in time in our food world over? What moment where people are waking up to the cost of food? Uh, is the moment over where within a building that might have 25 different restaurants in a city like Las Vegas or Singapore or Qatar uh, or Dubai, that the back loading dock is supplied from one giant truck and the supplies are essentially the same that go to all those restaurants and and... You know, honestly, I think most people, I think most people don't know that. And, and in some cases, people are willing to shell out a few extra bucks for the place they want to be in or want to be seen in. And, and the, yeah. the, like the behind the scenes, they don't care as much. But I do believe that more people are becoming aware of that. And if you care about it, then you make that choice. You say, hey, yeah. you know, this place is getting the same steaks as the restaurant upstairs. You know, let's go here. I want to know where the butcher takes his family to go out to eat. I want to know where the fisherman takes his family in town near the pier, where he brings the fish in. 
I want to know what those kinds of things are. Um, Dave, let me ask you a different question. Looking into your crystal ball, we're having forecasts that anywhere from, from 60 to 80% of our restaurants are going to close their doors permanently. But we're in agreement that we don't think that dining out or the need to have our food provided to us in some way will go away. Um, what do you think comes next based on the clues that you see? Well, I think it is going to be a hard road back for restaurants in general. The chain restaurants are actually doing okay. They are bouncing back now. Um, Smaller independent restaurants uh, with less than 20 units, they are having a harder time of it uh, yes. just financially. It's extremely difficult. So it's going to be a hard road back. But I do think that the consumer demand will be there. As I mentioned, people love eating out and they don't have the skills to create the food they want. So restaurants will survive. Um, and for the ones that are closing, I do think that new restaurants will open. Uh, you know, unfortunately, it's a bad time right now for restaurants, but a year from now could be a great time to open a restaurant. You know, that could be the time when people are really spending their money getting back out. Um, I mean, I think of it like the 1920s. I think after the 1918 flu epidemic or pandemic, um, we had the roaring 20s. We had the roaring 20s. I think we're going to have the roaring 20s. I really do. <laughs> In, hopefully in 2021. <laughs> well, Jennifer, what was it like back then? It was lusty. Were you a flapper girl? <laughs> uh, you know, I was a matron to the flapper girls. Did you know any good layers? Uh, I was more of the flapper madam, if mm. you will. I mean, I think people are going to want to get dressed up again, you know, because yeah. they're now at home just wearing their shorts or their whatever, you know, they're going to want to go out and get fancy. People like to do that. So I think there will be a market for high-end restaurants after this blows over. Um, Dave, you've got a really keen eye. You've got a really fantastic laser beam sensibility about what's going on. Do you have a mechanism in Digest This News that will showcase or somehow uh, spotlight things that you think are not only deserving of our attention, but deserving of our special attention. What do we do? What can we expect for those things that are really those earth shattering bits of news that are going to come out of this food business? Are you going to help us distinguish and, and appreciate that these are as big as they are? Well, in the bulletin, which is the newsletter that mails every week, um, I do call out the top stories in the subject line of the newsletter. So the top story I will call out, but then I call out maybe the top three stories after that. So those are the ones I think that you should absolutely read. And then on the website, uh, all of the articles are archived on a companion website, but I really think the newsletter is, is the thing for digest this news because the whole idea is you want to get a snapshot of what's going on in the food world. You can look at it on your phone, scroll through all the headlines, and there's pictures and brief summaries. Just as if you read the article, you, you get that snapshot real quickly. But on the website, all of the articles are organized in the mm -hmm. categories that you might be interested in. Maybe you're not interested in beverages. So you might go straight to supply chain if you're in the meatpacking industry, for instance. Or you might go straight to cooking if that's all you care about. 
so that is the way to find out what the top line news in those different facets of the food world are. But as far as like um, wrapping everything up and, and talking about bigger trends the way we're talking about now, I'm not doing that currently, uh, but I have been on a couple of podcasts uh, about food trends where I've brought together these different things happening in different facets of the food world to try and sleuth out what is going to be going on a, a year from now. Someone even asked me for stock tips, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but based on some of these technologies like Sally, uh, you know, Flippy, the burger bot, you see these things happening um, and big companies putting money behind them. You do get an idea of what is going to happen on a larger scale over the next few months or the next year. So I might start doing that, but that's all speculative, honestly. Yeah. And I try in digest this news. I'm, I am trying to avoid those articles that are like Florida man, you know, steals, uh, I don't know, tasty cakes from convenience store. Just, you know, all those just really bad, shallow, poorly reported stories. I'm trying to get, get hard food news and really dispel that notion that food yeah. is just a, I don't know, just a just a flippant thing. Food is a central part of our culture and lots happen. There's a lot of money in it. There's a lot of politics in it. There's a lot going on in the food world. So I try to do meaty food stories. One of the uh, things, 2020 is the year that the Food and Wine Radio Network is celebrating its 20th anniversary. What, what is that? Is that a competitive thing between, what, what are you, you're on Food and Beverage Magazine Live. <laughs> you're talking about something, I don't even know what you're talking about. When I started broadcasting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yummy, 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 yummy. That's the food trend, Dave. A worm, lettuce, and mustard sandwich. Wow. That does not look very good. <laughs> when I started broadcasting about food and I saw this wave, this this tsunami of consumer interest in food coming, I said, maybe in 10 years, we will have a nightly food news feature on our nightly news broadcasts, the way we have sports and weather. And I really believe that that's coming. It doesn't come as quickly as I thought it would. There are plenty of food stories because we are now a food nation. Definitely. I think that's one of the things that's coming. But Dave, I've got to ask you, because I'm really curious, what is the most exciting thing that you've discovered in the food world since COVID struck? Since COVID struck, the most exciting thing. What's the thing you find yourself talking to people about or saying, did you know? Did you see? Did you did you try? Like, Is there something that really just is striking you as being extra exciting? Um, nothing groundbreaking, I have to say. I mean, I, I have been making a lot of bread at home and I do think that that is exciting because, um, the quality of, of a lot of bread that's available is really bad. Honestly, uh, it's just not very tasty. It's, um, it's not very nutritious. Uh, so I have been very excited by how easy it is to make bread at home. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have been turned on by the by keeping a sourdough starter. Look at um, oh, you know who did that? Elizabeth Blau. Are you familiar with her work? Elizabeth Blau. No, yeah. she's a friend of ours, but she's a sourdough starter. But look what I was making at home. You did bread. This is what I was making. Twinkie <laughs> Tiger Tales. <laughs> oh my gosh! That's Twinkie the trend. These are brand new. They're coming out limited edition. Twinkie Tiger Tales golden sponge cake with orange cream filling. Welcome, welcome to 2020. 
That's I'm Hugh Downs. By the way, Dave, do you know um, Don Guerra from Barrio Breads, one of the nominees for the Beard Awards for Best Baker? Where is he? I, I, he's in Dave, Southern Arizona. Who cares? He was just a nominee. <laughs> Dave, Ooh. after the show, I'll send you a link and hook you up with him because he's got a program called Community Supported Agricultural. Uh, it's called Community Supported Baking. Okay. Yeah, so that would be great. Community supported agriculture model and applied it to baking. So, what did you do with your starter, Dave? Let's go back to that. I want to hear more about that. I, want to hear uh, I just name. made waffles the other day. Uh, all sorts of things I do with the starter. I make crackers, uh, I make waffles, I make different breads. Um, I've been remaking a lot of breads that are in Mastering Bread, which is a book that I worked on that's coming out this fall. Um, this, so, I've written a series of books with Philadelphia chef Mark Vetri. Oh, I know his brother very well. Adam is a very good uh, yes. friend of mine. Yes, yeah. Uh, so Mark and I started with Mastering Pasta. Actually, we've done a number of books together. But in this series, we started with Mastering Pasta, which Mark is well known for. And he is makes amazing handmade pasta. And then we did Mastering Pizza. We talked a bit about that. And Mastering Bread is coming out this fall. Um, the book is both yeast doughs, sourdoughs, uh, some really interesting breads that you've probably never heard of, some Eastern European breads, rye breads, um, and then some stuff to eat with your bread or to do with your bread, make dishes like ribolita. Um, so it's, it's a really comprehensive look at the bread world, let's put it that way. And we profiled bakers from around the world uh, and we, I didn't hear about this baker, so I'm, I'm glad you're sending me his name, Jennifer. Yeah, he's amazing. Don Guerra from Barrio Bread. Yeah, but what's happening in the country with, with the grain system right now is really exciting because I don't know if you've heard of Stephen Jones. He's yeah. one of these guys that is just spearheading a change in the type. He just wants better bread to be more available, basically. And that's the message of Mastering Bread as well. Um and he used to develop grain varieties for the commodity wheat market. And he just decided that that's not what he wanted to do anymore. And he started creating varieties of wheat that could be grown in areas of the country that normally can't grow wheat. So non-grain belt uh, uh, states. So he developed this one variety called Skagit 1109. He's in Skagit Valley in Washington. This grain is now being grown in Vermont. It's being grown in various states around the country, and local bakers are making amazing bread with it. So, and then that's that's very much what Don's doing. They're taking the Sonoran wheat, and and there's there's there are people who are respecting that you take what grows where you are, and then exactly, it's a very uh, respect driven. Yeah, fan. Exactly. I know. True. Yeah. Well, I mean. I think what we found, just to get back to overall trends, what we found is that America is great at industrialization. We are awesome at um, like ramping up production and scaling up production. But what we found that with food systems, sometimes that has negative effects. Sometimes the nutrition quality of the food suffers. Sometimes the soil quality suffers because of just the volume of production. So things are shifting now to make sure that we are not only creating a giant volume of food, but a giant volume of high quality food. Good food. And, and that I think is what's happening in the grain world because people just want better bread. People are, they're getting sick. Why, why are people like uh, allergic to wheat all of a sudden? That, I mean, that's it. And it's not because there's some new variety that was grown in the sixties. That's not what's, what's happened. 
Um, I need to be gluten-free, Jennifer, gluten-free. Do you have the gluten-free muffins? Yeah, listen, Dave, <laughs> one of the things I wanted to make sure we talked a little bit about before we sort of got too far um, from this look in our crystal balls. Um, oh, it's, first of all, it's ball. <laughs> We've got sensors. I need a censorship button now. Sorry, Dave. I'm so sorry about that. I actually, I think I actually have my crystal ball here somewhere. Go get it. I'll get um, my speed stick. It was actually, it was one of the awards that I won. Hang on. Yeah, go get it. That is funny. Why is he in such great shape and he only does he cook, well, he makes food? The hell's wrong with me? It, can I tell you? Doesn't Dave remind you so that this it's is like the. This is the Cordon d'Or World Food Awards. This is actually a globe. Wow. Oh, is that the Cordon World World Awards in France? Yeah, so uh, the Cordon d'Or. So this was uh, this was for the science of good food, the book that I mentioned. Nice. Wow. Um, but it is actually a crystal ball. Yeah. So, so what does it say? What does looking it say? To it now, let's say I, I think that there will be much less food waste. I can yeah. see there will be much less food waste in the next five years. I can see that Americans' love for food delivery will continue even after restaurants open back up. I can see that plant-based meat alternatives will continue to proliferate. Did, did you hear about the um, 3D printed vegan steak? That's brilliant. <laughs> I rolled my eyes that one. It is roll. Yes, it is rolling out in Europe, being tested in Europe this fall, and should be rolling out uh, in 2021 more broadly. Boiling green is people. Go it's to people. Go go. It's a cool video to watch just to see this machine create a steak, and they actually create primals, and then slice them into steaks. Uh, so, or actually subprimals and then slice them into steak. So go Dang. check out this video. It's at digestthis.news. Uh, just search for uh, 3D printed vegan that steak. Makes, that's where I'm going to draw the line. I have to say, it's really worrisome. Do you know that for several Halloweens, I would have a party and I would show the movie Soylent Green outside. It was the scariest movie I could tell anybody. What's the scariest movie you ever saw? Not, you know, Friday the 13th or Blair Witch Product. No. It's soil and green because that, when you watch it, is terrifying and it's way too close to too many things that we have going on today. Yeah, people ask me. I used to specialize in healthy cooking and healthy cookbooks, and people ask me all the time. So you know, what is a healthy diet? Uh, what's what's the secret to? Like people ask me. Like I'm fairly thin, and and they ask me. I'm like, well, maybe I just have good genetics. But uh, when I you got up to get your crystal ball, Michael's like, how is he so fit? All he does is. <laughs> Well, I do, I do ride my bike so I can eat whatever I want and I just don't even think about my diet. But you know what? After I've been a food writer and I've been studying and reading about and writing about and cooking and eating food, I mean, obviously eating food for a very long time, but professionally, I've been in this field since the early 90s. And I think getting back to your point, the key to eating healthfully is to try and eat food in its whole natural form whenever you can. And to try to eat lots of plants yep. doesn't mean you have to eliminate meat, but plants have lots of healthy compounds in them. You want to help prevent cancer? Eat more plants. You want to help prevent heart disease? Eat more plants. So it doesn't mean you have to eliminate any foods. I really don't like saying, you know, cut this out, cut that. 
just eat more. It's so simple. Marion Nestle has it down. I mean, her basic line on this is eat, eat less, move more, and try to eat more fruits and vegetables. And That's who it. Was it Poland that said, or no, Bittman? Uh, was it Bittman or Poland who said, uh, you know, eat less food, mostly plants? Oh yeah, that that was Michael Pollan. His his Pollen. line is uh, eat food, and by that he meant real food, not processed fake food. Mostly eat plants. food, not too much, mostly plants. Yeah. Um, the most exciting thing that I've discovered during COVID is the chef's garden. Farmer Lee Jones, home deliveries, $89, big giant box of the most gorgeous produce anybody's producing anywhere in the country that has historically been reserved for the best chefs and restaurants. Now is one of those rare moments in time when any of us can get the food that was destined for restaurants like Le Bernardin, and we can celebrate at home and Eat this is a big, things. yeah, this is a big change in our supply chain yeah. uh, because you know, restaurants closed and a lot of producers sold directly to restaurants. Well, now what are they going to do? Yeah. So direct to consumer sales are now huge. And you're absolutely right. There are a lot of companies who are selling direct to consumers now, lowering their minimums for orders, um, widening their delivery area. Uh, 89 not, bucks, including overnight shipping. Come on. They're not going to give that up. Do you think that Farmer uh, farmer Will, that's his name, right? Farmer Lee Jones with the red Farmer Lee Jones, yeah. Same, same thing. Same thing. Do, do you think he's going to give up this revenue stream no. once he starts selling to restaurants again? No. Baldor Specialty Foods in the in the Bronx, no. they that wholesaler, they lowered their minimums. They widened their delivery area. They're not going to stop that revenue stream. So you're absolutely right. People now have the opportunity to buy those restaurant-quality ingredients and get them to delivered at home. Hopefully, they have the skills to cook them. But, yes, it is an unprecedented time. don't forget time. the economics of supply and demand. If you used to go to New York City and you had the means and you went to Russ and Daughter, you could still get some of the best locks. Can you get bacon? No, 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 <laughs> no, not the bacon. No, Russ. I, I only put that on to make the show better because everybody, everybody says bacon makes everything better. So yeah. I think this is our opener. What do you, what do you think, Dave? You didn't I like it. Bacon always works. I mean, always. But, but don't forget, supply and demand means that more people can now go after, you know, the fantastic. Whitefish and and salmon and caviar at places like Russ and Daughters and Petrosian. Yep. And and these delivery systems are going to mean the competition for those things. And I don't want them to get out of sight and out of access for people because that's one of the concerns I have. Well, speaking of caviar, uh, beluga caviar is one of those banned yeah. uh, foods, but there's actually some beluga caviar that is now available because this very enterprising aqua farmer imported some beluga sturgeon and has been farming them for 17 years. Wow. And now, and, and that's how long it takes. I mean, these are very long lived large fish. That's how long it takes. Who for, is this? Uh, so the producer, um, his name is Mark Zavzlowski and it's called wow. Mark Marky's caviar. So yeah. his, his beluga caviar is available. It's not cheap. It's $420 for a half ounce. But it's now available, and it's not impacting the uh, endangered status of right. beluga sturgeon in any way. Gotcha.
Um, before we let you go, I, and I want to say, I knew this would be fun. I have like five or six of your books. Maybe I have more and just didn't even realize it. I'm a big fan of your work. I'm totally going to fangirl out and tell you, please come back and be a regular. We would love to have you come and talk food news with us. Well, this has been fun. I'd be happy to. It is. Um, <laughs> it's the first time anyone's ever said that. No one's ever said that. <laughs> he said it was I fun and he's happy to talk to you. Because you know why, Jennifer? No. I've been, I've been cutting you off a little bit. You haven't been on so wordy lately. Here's, here's like, Marquis Caviar. So there that's four, $4.25, huh? A four twenty for a half ounce, yep. Wow. Not, not cheap. No, not cheap. Maybe with a Marquis name on it, it's got to work, right, Marquis? Right, Marquis. Yeah. So what, I, what I was going to say before, since you mentioned the name Marky, Dave, I don't want you to be embarrassed, and I could do this after you get off the air, but I want M Michael to, to appreciate. Can you imagine if Ed Burns and uh, Mark Wahlberg had a beautiful child together? It would be Dave. <laughs> he's got like the best. I'm going back one. to this. I don't <laughs> even know what to do. I'm going back to that. I don't know. <laughs> he's not so sure there. Ed Burns. Ed Burns? Which Ed, Ed Burns? Burns, the actor, the fabulous actor, Ed Burns. And, and Mark, Mark Wahlberg. If so they you're had, saying he looks like a burning Wahlberg? If you took the two of them and they had a beautiful child together. Oh, now he's beautiful. So you're saying he's irresistible? I am suggesting. <laughs> delicious? He is. Or insatiable? Ooh. He I mean, is Jennifer. <laughs> I got nothing. I got, I got nothing. Thank goodness oh my for God. safe distance. Thank you, Dave, for coming on, buddy. Well, thank you for having me. I'd be happy to come Let's back on. Let's make sure everybody knows how they can get a hold of the subscription to and sort. I, I just subscribed while you were talking. Cool. Di yeah, Digestist.news. Yep, just go to digestist.news. Uh, it's free. I don't know if I mentioned that. should definitely mention that. It's no cost. It is completely free. You just need to put in your email address. So nice. we can send you the newsletter. And uh, I have to ask you about food news. The rumor is out of California that the ban on foie in California is over. Have you been hearing anything about that? You know, when you mentioned that, you briefly mentioned that earlier, and um, I was poking around trying to find something. I have not read about that, honestly. I know that it's, there's been a lot of back and forth. It was banned, and then they tried to overturn it, and restaurateurs were serving it anyway. And so the latest that I've heard is that it is still officially illegal, but what is what it's now happening? There's a new challenge against the law or, or what's the latest? Uh, my understanding is there is something in the legislature uh, that it, or, or, the, or the courts that is potentially going to open it up again. Hmm. Well, you know, a lot of people love foie gras. So... Dave, what's your favorite food made by your favorite person in your favorite place? Like, what are some of your favorites? Well, you know, I, this is going to sound horrible, but I often cook stuff myself because I just like it better. But one of the best restaurants in my area is called Bolit. Um, the chef there, Lee Chismar, is a great chef. He's actually been nominated by the James Beard Foundation several times, many, many years um, he hasn't won yet, but um, he cooks with a lot of local products. And so I live in Pennsylvania now. I live, I am completely spoiled. I live in the middle of agricultural nirvana. So you've nirvana. got like crispy skinned Amish chickens and gorgeous eggs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My neighbor 
raises chickens and I get eggs by riding my bicycle three doors down with a backpack and picking up some eggs. Like when we, I, we barter, I give them a little bit. He, he does it in the middle of the night. The neighbor doesn't know it, but he puts the backpack, <laughs> planks down three doors. They don't know. They don't have lights. They're Amish. They have no idea what's going on. They're just like, look, wolf in the hen house, wolf in the hen house. <laughs> yeah. But Belit makes some great food. But honestly, I cook at home most of the time. Yeah. I cook every day, every single day. I cook for my family. We have a family of four. And, and I, I am the cook. I, I cook all the time. So nice. mostly for me, it's about getting great product. And then I really enjoy making it at home. I'm also, I don't know if we mentioned this, but um, I edit a website called amazingribs.com. It's yep. the web's largest barbecue website. And I am a grill fanatic. Um, starting when I was a kid with my dad camping and uh, grilling at home, it's just been one of those things because I am a born pyromaniac. That is my preferred cooking technique. You collaborated so, with the incredible Stephen Reichlin. Stephen Reichlin, yep. He's terrific. I've written several grilling cookbooks. So I have... At this point, I have, uh, if you count them all up, I have 13 different grills on my back patio. Um, fire pits, pellet grills. I have an uh, Argentinian wood grill. I've got a gas grill. Um, I've got a Texas barrel smoker. I mean, you name it. I've got it all. And I use them. I use most of them. There's a couple. My Weber kettle grill, I don't use as much anymore. Yeah, I still um, love my Weber. But you know what I'm, I'm all hot and bothered about getting? A China yeah. box. A what? Feeling like I need a China hot box. I have one of those too. <laughs> They're great. They're great. Specific. Uh, I don't, it's, it's very specific. But you um, know what? When I cook with my friends, you know, I, I live in Vancouver and my chef friends and I are really kind of like very much of nature when we're out together cooking. And we will like get cinder blocks and rocks and just literally make a fire pit and, and, tie something across that we can hang our grilling foods from and there's no better combination than fire and food i don't you, care don't let the device you always there. bring your ketchup machine don't you, you <laughs> always bring your ketchup machine always. that's right but never on the hot dogs not, oh, not, not on the hot yeah. dogs jennifer yeah. the ketchup there's, machine good job i'm a little opinionated about that and which is weird that. i used to as a kid, I, I actually liked ketchup on hot dogs, but really? I, I I found the light when I started putting mustard on them. I realized, you know, come on, this is a German food. Let's face it. Yeah. You, putting a ketchup on it is just not. Yeah. You, don't not go right. to, you don't go to the hop, house and say, excuse me, give me a ketchup <laughs> for my brother. Right. That's exactly right. I want Weisswurst with ketchup, please. Oh, my God. <laughs> I like my spatzel with ketchup, please. I will not eat my spatzel without ketchup. Don't you think, Jennifer? Listen, we've run out of time, and our good friend Tony Abuganem has texted me, and he's going to come on on Friday to make cocktails with us in our test kitchen. Fantastic. Ooh. Well, thank you for having me. Happy Best Deal Day. Enjoy the rest thank of your you. champagne. So, two more things I want to tell you about. No, that's it. Why do you do that to everybody? Maybe he's got a fish. I know. <laughs> have you have you heard about Truffle Shuffle? And have you heard no. about Fresh Victor? No. no. What is? Tell me about these. So, send them an email. They're, I will send you an email, but they're coming out of California. Truffle Shuffle is a three-person uh, team out of the French Laundry's kitchens whose side hustle was the truffle business. And they're now creating meal kits with truffles 
they can't keep up with demand. It's exquisite. And they do cooking classes with the ingredients. So you're not doing it alone. They've really, they've really struck on something incredible, I think. And Great name, too. Sensational. Yeah, Truffle and, Shuffle is a good name, too. And Truffle Shuffle is one of them. And then the other that I wanted to tell you about, again, these are things that we've discovered. Uh, H. Um, Joseph Ehrman from uh, Elixir Bar in San Francisco and his team are coming up with a line of fresh squeezed um, shelf stable, not shelf stable, um, fresh squeezed juices for cocktail lovers and cocktail makers. And it's called Fresh Victor. Hmm. Haven't heard of that one either. I will uh, look at those. Like those are things you need to know about. Yeah. Well, Jennifer, that's nice of you to be the public relations department for these two companies. <laughs> we appreciate that, Jennifer. But, Michael, what we do, these are our friends in the business. All right. I forgot. You keep telling me that. Friends in the business. I keep forgetting I have friends in the business. Well, if you have any friends who are interested in uh, partnering on digestthis.news, let me know. Because right now, this is funded by AmazingRibs.com. And I'm not sure how much longer it's going to be funded by them. So we'll see. But uh, I do think it's a valuable service uh, because there's just so much happening right now. And people want reliable food news. And it's so spread out. You know, there are newspaper food sections and there's various magazines, but there's no place to get it all in one spot. And that's what Digest This Stuff No, that's amazing. Yeah, that's, that's what I did with the trade, right, with the food and beverage magazine. There was people with every – there was like recipe books and there was like restaurants and institutions and there was institutionalizing people. And right. Every, everything was – and I'm like, what is this? So I took celebrity and entertainment and, and all the things that I would go play with all these chefs in the kitchens and we'd have a ball – I mean, some of these guys, like David Burke and Charlie Palmer, like these guys are fun and they have lives and they like pop culture and they like this and they like that. And then Robin Leach came into my life and put everything together with me. And then we built the magazine. And so, right, like, there's a need for certain things. And I, I, the one place is the place that works, right? That tells yep. everybody what they want to know. And that's yep. why Jennifer English is with me today because Jennifer is that one place. She's not omnipotent. <laughs> Well, I read food and beverage. That is one of my sources. So oh, I uh, love that, Dave. Yeah, I, I read more than 50 different. And I, by the way, I do. I read papers. amazing ribs newsletters. I do get them. I oh, good. Yes, good. I've learned some helpful hints. And I've got all kinds of grills. I don't even know what to do with. But we have. Who was that guy, the grill master in Nashville that we had? What was his name, Jennifer? We just had him. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We had uh, oh, uh, several weeks ago. We had, what's that? I don't know. What was his name? It started with an M. He used to open for Phil Baxter, that guy. Yeah, because he was yeah. a music guy. Yeah, and now he's a, he's a writer. Oh, yeah. look at that. Excellent magazine. Thank you, Jimmy V. Jimmy V's <laughs> going for the brownie points yeah, today. Wait, wait. Dave, do you know Jimmy V? No. Uh, I do no. not. But I. this is a topic for a future episode of this show. What is it with the connection between food professionals and music? They all seem to moonlight as musicians. Is it just because chefs need something to do after they get off their shift? Or, like, is it the creative outlet? But no, uh, I don't know. I'll tell you right now, Dave, it's the girls. It's the girls. Right. That could because be. <laughs> one of my best friends was a chef named Carrie Simon, if you've ever heard, ever heard of Carrie. Carrie had a place called Simon's Kitchen in Vegas. And all the musicians, right, love it. But the, it goes both ways. So some of my best musician friends, like Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick, they love to cook. Yep. Dave Grohl loves to cook, loves yep. to grill, right? So these are some really fun things that every, the worlds have combined and collided. 
And I don't even know if people realize it. Like we realize it because when they yeah. travel, when they travel around the world, they go to find like my, one of my best friends is the lead singer for Motley Crue, right? Okay. So they've been around the world how many hundreds of times, right? He knows the best. Vince knows the best restaurants in every city that they go because that's what they do. Right. They they tour. Yeah. Right. They tour, and that's by the way, Jennifer. That was a great segue into Amanda, whose father is Meatloaf, who hopefully we'll have on tomorrow. I was going to have her on She's today. Coming on with us. She's going to come on with us and talk about cooking and restaurants from around the world, and yeah, that that she what she went on tour as a kid with her dad. That's yeah. all they would do. Yeah, it's neat stuff. Well, if you think Dave Grohl wants to do a barbecue book, I'm his guy. <laughs> I Grohl co- instead of grill. Uh, he actually has a barbecue company that he started, or at least Back a brand beat. name. Backbeat. Backbeat Back Back Barbecue. Yeah, so I'm not sure what he's doing with that, but if he wants to do a cookbook, I'm You're a drummer. The By the way, I'm a drummer. Oh, that, that, and I, I have been in bands my entire life, and my See? current band has been together for 15 years, and we're working on our fifth record right now. <laughs> oh, my God. And it's so funny. And it's have called you tried that Morgan's? Uh... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, have you tried his barbecue sauce? Who's? Bram's Morgan. But that's Morgan Heritage. That's reggae. That's not rock and roll. No, I get it. But if he's a barbecue guy, maybe he's got the best barbecue sauces, including Bram's Heritage. I'm just saying he's a rock and roll guy. You look at Dave. Does he look like a reggae guy? He's a rock and roll. So, interesting factoid. One of the first bands I played in was a reggae band with a lead singer from the Ivory Coast. And I love playing reggae drums. I oh, you need to look at the Morgan, Morgan Heritage. <laughs> look into the band Morgan you Heritage. Morgan Heritage? I don't. Yeah. I, I will look it up. And we'll connect you with Gramps and the guys in the band. And, but but now that I know he's a drummer and loves music. Yeah, and everybody Dave, knows that Carrie Simon was the rock and roll iron chef. Well, let's get Dave on when I have like celebrity rock and roll guys on that like to do. Let's we'll do that. I'll start. You yep. want to do that, Dave? That you would be a blast. Getting my guys on like Rick and all these dudes and like, you know, I can get Tommy Lee, whoever you want. You just spit it out. I'll get them. We'll put them on and then we'll all enter. We'll get rid of Jennifer. But it's easy to do. All I, I just have to hit this button and there she's gone. See what I'm saying? <laughs> So you've we got, can, you've we got all the that. tricks there with the uh, visuals on this. I love it. You know, we can get rid of Jennifer, and you and I can interview these rock stars about food. That would be fun. I'm in. Right, because Jennifer won the the award. We need to win it. That's what we're talking. <laughs> all right, Dave. Thank right, you I, for spending time with us, buddy. Thank you. We'll see you next time. I'm going to go make dinner. Thanks, guys. Good guy. Fun guy. Fun guy. I thought you'd really dig him. Yeah, I didn't even want him on the show. Remember? I know. I had to sell him. I had to sell it to you. You did. You gave him a little, you gave me this all. All right. So we'll see you uh, tomorrow, Jennifer. Hey, listen. Hug your kids. Count your blessings. Jennifer, why do you always say that? You make me nervous when you say that. Why? I don't know. You just make me nervous. Hug your kids. Count your blessings. There's nothing better. See you tomorrow.